I'm excited for today. We've talked about justice and righteousness. That's popped up a couple of different times, and, and those things will pop up again uh, this morning. But if you'd like to follow along in, in the Scriptures, we're going to be in two different parts of the Scriptures this morning. We're going to start in the Gospel of Matthew, um, chapter 5, which is where we were last week. We're just going to be a couple of verses ahead of where we were last week. If you're going to be using a Bible that is on the table, um, we're going to be on page 1,506, 1506. Um, And then we're also, in a little while, going to be in Isaiah chapter 58. Um, So that's where we're headed in in a couple of minutes here. Um, Of course, Matthew chapter 5, we find ourselves in the Sermon on the Mount. Ty introduced us to the Sermon on the Mount last week, where she um, plucked out one of the verses of the Beatitudes. Um, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And we talked about this idea of meekness. And uh, we talked a little bit about the Sermon on the Mount and um, just a whole bunch of different things. And so we're in that same um, we're in that same section here, but. Before we go any further, I'd love to read uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, some pretty familiar verses. Um, if, you're, if you're at all familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, this is a really intriguing um, beginning to these, uh, to these teachings. This is what Jesus says in verse 17 through 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven." But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. A whole lot going on there. We're going to focus in on this idea of righteousness And righteousness might be one of the most complicated aspects of, and bear with me here, religion as a whole. Plenty of religions out there, plenty of belief systems, but righteousness pops up. Morality, virtue, what is right, what is wrong, what is worth doing, what what, what should be avoided. This is righteousness. This is the conversation of righteousness. Um, It is quite the conversation. Uh, Each religion looks different. Each system looks different. I think that, um, not even I think, the critique that I've heard most about Christians, and it's often warranted, is that we're a little bit too self-righteous. Has anyone else, has anyone else heard that before? Not, I'm not talking about a critique on you. I'm talking about a critique on us, our, our people, Christianity. 
a little bit too self-righteous, a little bit too judgy and condemning and critiquey and meh. So righteousness is a big deal for us, right? Um, we've already read it. We've already read about it this morning, and Jesus talks about it, and Isaiah's going to talk about it in just a moment. Conversations of righteousness generally boil down, at least as I observe them, to one of two things. Um, this is both in religion, but once again, we're speaking about Christianity and following Christ. Uh, righteousness boils down in one way um, what the followers are supposed to do, say, and think. Righteousness boils down that way. It is righteous to believe this. It is righteous to say this. It is righteous to do this. Fair? And the other one, and sometimes they both happen at the same time, and sometimes one implies the other, is who is in and who is out. Right? Um, the righteous are in, the, the, the unrighteous are out, and who are the unrighteous and who are not righteous. And conversations of righteousness, I feel, generally boil down into those two things. So there's that, righteousness, okay? Uh, there's a theologian named N.T. Wright. I've talked about him before. I'll talk about him again. I just bought a thousand-page book that he just wrote, so it'll take me about seven years to get through that. This is what he says about the gospel of Matthew as a whole. The, the, the gospel of Matthew as a whole is a Jewish story of Jesus for what is becoming an increasingly Gentile church. This is what I think N.T. Wright is communicating, is that for the first time ever, the lines are being blurred between who's in and who's out. That for the first time ever, um, it is being revealed to the Jews that not just the Jews can be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven, which is a profound, profound thing for, um, of course, Jesus' original audience, but for us today as well. Um, in the passage we just read from Matthew, um, those two primary implications of righteousness are addressed. What should we do, say, and think, and also who's in and who's out? If you would look with me to verse 19, where Jesus uses the words, anyone and whoever. Verse 19 begins, anyone who sets aside a command is going to be called least in the kingdom. But whoever practices these commands will be called greatest in the kingdom. Those words, that language, anyone and whoever, opens up anyone. Jesus could have said, and perhaps a lot of people did say, good morning, welcome. Hey, we've got some coffee and water in the back if you're thirsty, but please make yourself comfortable. Welcome. Um, when Jesus uses the words anyone and whoever, he is speaking directly to who is in and who is out. Um, and when he says anyone, I think Jesus is saying, anyone could be in. <laughs> and anyone could be out. <laughs> um, which is once again a conversation <clears throat> that was not happening around the concept of righteousness in this particular day and time. And then in verse 20, 
when we're talking about what should we do, what should we say, what should we think, Jesus gives metaphor. He gives an illustration. He gives example. And he says, our righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees. He starts addressing the do and the say and the think, and he brings up a group of people. And so let us consider the group of people. Who are the Pharisees? We've talked about them before. The Pharisees were essentially a relatively small Jewish sect group that were known for upholding each detail of the exhaustive Jewish law, but then arguing also about the details, and alienating those who couldn't keep up with them. It was a relatively small group because, although you could imagine, man, if this group is just about arguing, I don't want to be a part of it, right? So maybe they were relatively small in that regard, because of course we're humans, but once this small group was able to agree on something, um, once again, how many people can actually keep up? So it stayed small, and, and I don't know if it stayed small on purpose. I think it just might have stayed small because that was the nature of the group is you had to keep all these different things, and if you can't, then you can't be a part of our group. The He-Man woman haters, these little rascal Pharisees, Their righteousness, so Jesus talks about the righteousness of the Pharisees and how it must be surpassed by us. Their righteousness was primarily motivated by law. Their righteousness was sustained and upheld and in their eyes proven by law, the law that was handed down to them, the law that they argued about, the law that they formed and shaped and adapted, the righteousness of the Pharisees that Jesus invites us to surpass was motivated by law. Surpassing that must, therefore, look something closer to Christ. And what was Christ motivated by? It starts with an L. Love. Yes, that's right. So in order for us to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees who were motivated by law, we surpass that by first being motivated by love. This plays out, no need to turn there, but there's a story that pops up in Mark chapter 3 and Luke 13. This is an account of Jesus healing on the Sabbath. You may be familiar with the story where the Pharisees and the, the teachers of the law who were motivated by law said healing is considered work and the law says we are not to work on the Sabbath. Jesus, who is motivated by love, realizes and identifies that there is a human being in front of him <laughs> that needs healing and heals that person. And in that moment, again, reframes 
what is valuable, reframes what is worth pursuing, reframes what is worth investing in. What is worth motivating? Is it the law or is it love? Jesus shows it's love. The imagery that he uses in one or both of the accounts is, suppose one of you had a, had a donkey or an ox that fell in a hole on the Sabbath. Would you not go and rescue it? <laughs> um, take that a little bit further. If one of you had a child that needed help, <laughs> but it was the Sabbath, you don't help your child? Like, you don't help your brother or sister. And so Jesus shows us that it is the motivation of law, which is righteousness, that surpasses Pharisees. And before we turn to Isaiah 58, although this is the time where if you're going to turn there, then that's where we'll turn to Isaiah 58. Um, don't get hung up on the, the category of Pharisee. Focus in on the principle, right? Um, I think that there are people in our world that act like Pharisees, but we don't have to call them Pharisees, right? Like, okay, I'm going to stop there. <laughs> Isaiah 58, if you're going to be using a, a Bible that's on the table, it's going to be on page 1154. 1154. Um, Isaiah 58 reframes righteousness. I love this passage. I am thankful for, I, I've talked, talked before about the lectionary. I've talked before about how there has been this organization of passages and it guides the Christian calendar and it guides our seasons and um, just the work that had been done by generations before us like, if you think that I aligned 1 Corinthians 2, Psalm 112, Isaiah 58, and Matthew chapter 5, if you think I did that, you're wrong. <laughs> it's, it's been done for us. It's these beautiful things of these just passages just connect, and it's insane. Last week was a good example. This week's a good example, too. So what Isaiah 58 does is it reframes righteousness. Isaiah 58 reveals to us God's desires and expectations and graciously shows us how our intentions sometimes go against his desires. Hear these words, and perhaps follow along if you are. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out, they seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them. Why have we fasted and you have not seen us, they say? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of fasting... You do as you please and exploit all of your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. 
Is this the kind of fast that I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Put your finger on that little number six. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. But verses one through five, if they do nothing else, they portray the tension between how law and love can be kept, which is good, but in that process, how love can be absolutely lost. You see how the law was kept by fasting, but love was lost by the exploitation of workers. And you see how at the same time that a law can be upheld, which is a good thing, love can be lost, which is more serious of a thing than upholding the law. I think what Isaiah is saying, I think what God is saying through Isaiah, I think what Jesus is saying is that law and love are good things, but love is so much better. And in fact, law is meaningless if love is lost. Verse 6. Is not this the kind of fasting that I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Put your finger on that little number eight. Verses six and seven that we just read reveal God's heartbeat behind the law that was previously given. This is where we are slowly being introduced to God's desires and how we are graciously being confronted with our misinterpretation of the law. Verse eight. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness, there's our word, will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, if you do away with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness. And your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a scorched land and he will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath, from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and do not do as you please or speak idle words, then you will find joy in the Lord. Then, this is what God says, I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land. 
and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The second half is really great, isn't it? Wouldn't it be so easy to just read the second half of Isaiah 58 and read about triumph and read about springs that will never run out with water and and read about all these different things? Oh, Verse 9 and 10, we want our light to rise in the darkness. Yes, but that happens if we work against oppression and stop pointing fingers. Oh, man. What a challenge. Mm. We are getting closer and closer to November. Does everyone know what I'm saying when I say that? If there's any finger pointing that happens in this country, it is every four years. And brothers and sisters, let us hear the words of Isaiah and let us be prepared for what is to come in March and April and in May and June and July. Let us prepare ourselves now that if you want your light to shine this year, do not point fingers. Let us prepare our hearts now to not use malicious words. Let us prepare our hearts now not to point. That is how we will shine light this year. Verse 13 and 14, we want to find joy, but that's if we honor the Sabbath. And we honor the Sabbath by not going our own way. I'll tell you a a phrase that has just so grabbed me this last week and and it will not soon escape my mind. Verse 10, that little little number 10, chapter chapter 58 of Isaiah, verse 10. And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry... Some translations say, if you pour yourself out for the hungry, for the oppressed. Oh. Friends, I have found myself, and maybe you have found yourself, to be so concerned just about me. Oh. For Isaiah to say, for God to say through Isaiah, that we are to speak. We are supposed to be spent (laughs) for the sake of the hungry. Oh, my gosh. What? We are supposed to lay our heads down on our pillows, and we're supposed to have been poured out for the sake of the oppressed. Oh. I just, I, I look around, and I just, oh. My heart's desire is just to see more people who are spent on that stuff. I think think there's a lot of times where we lay our heads down on our pillows and we're spent and we're poured out, but it's because we've spent our whole day arguing. We spent our our whole day gossiping. We spent our whole day pointing fingers and we've spent our whole day, oh, just, oh, Lord, help us. What a challenge. What a 
particular type of righteousness that just does not go often talked about. Oh. So here's some good news. <laughs> Jesus can be seen this morning as the fulfillment of many things, not just the law. If, if, you're, if you're looking for a little bit of good news this morning, in light of what is an incredible challenge, <laughs> um, for, for our righteousness to surpass that of the Pharisees is... It's no small thing. Um, but if you're looking for, where's the, where's the silver, where's the, where's the hope, where's the, well, Jesus fulfills. If you hear nothing else today, Jesus fulfills. He fulfills the law with motivation of love. He does that. He fulfills strength in moments of weakness. He fulfills justice in the lives of the oppressed and neglected. He fulfills grace in a world that is so harsh and judgmental. He fulfills peace in moments of confusion and worry. He fulfills presence in moments of separation. And he fulfills so much more. So this morning for us, he has fulfilled the law, but he has fulfilled so much more. Um, thank you for hearing me this morning. Thank you for receiving. Um, in just a moment, we're going to turn things over to the tables. We, we want to be sure that we spend time in discussion as well. Um, we ask the same three questions every week for the most part. What are you hearing? What might you do about it? And how can we help you? How can we pray for you in your, in your quest to doing something new? Um, of course, uh, share as much as you'd like. Don't let there be pressure to share what you would not like to share. Um, let's be good sharers. Let's be better listeners. Um, and of course, if there's anyone at your table that uh, you might not know, of course, introduce yourself and get to know one another before we, before we open up. Uh, if I could pray for us real quick um, before, we, before we do so. Oh, Lord. Lord Jesus, you... Um, you have revealed yourself this morning. And it, it simply does not take much of us <laughs> when, we, when we consider your scriptures, when we consider this, this word that has been given. This morning we... We read of the Psalms, we read of the prophet Isaiah, we read of the Gospel of Matthew, we read of the letter to the Corinthians. We, it would be, it's just not too hard to miss what is being spoken this morning. You have showed us what righteousness is supposed to look like. You have showed us gracefully how, how we have confused law and love you have showed us, not, not even us today, it, it, it includes us today, but humanity, people, you, you have shown us through the story of the people of God that it can be quite easy to, for the sake of obeying law, neglect love. So, Lord, as we discuss with one another, 
as your spirit already is, may it continue to dwell and to move and to speak and to prompt. And as we share in this moment, would you give us ears that hear like you, that they would be graceful ears that can hear with grace? Would you give us mouths as we share that um, would, would talk like you with humility, with honesty, and at the same exact time in such a weird way with confidence that you are with us and that you are calling us to something new? Um, give us the spirit as a church, as a people, as a group, as a table to want to spur one another on towards love and good deeds that when we ask the question, how can we help you, how can we pray for you, that we would take that seriously, and that perhaps from a discussion that we have today, action and new action would rise. Um, Lord, we hope and trust in these things in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, let's discuss with one another. Let's take the next 10 minutes or so to do that, and then we'll come back together for uh, communion.